The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are always in your debt, and yet you never make us pay it. You have given us your incredible grace and your incredible love. You've given us your Son. You've given us your Spirit. And by the Spirit and through your Son, we praise you for that. We thank You, Lord, that You've also given us Your Word so that we may know You personally and intimately. and We may know You. We may know about You. We may know Your character. We might know Your, we might know your Son. And so we just ask, Lord, now that as we open up uh, once again, as we've been doing, as we open up the book of Matthew, we just pray that You would speak to us, that You would open Your Word to our hearts and that You would open our hearts to Your Word uh, and by, of course, by, with, by heart, we also mean mind, our spirit, uh, the very seat of ourselves. We pray that you would open it uh, to us, um, op- open yourself to us, and open us to yourself through your word, Lord. We pray, God, that you would draw us by your word ever, ever closer, ever closer to you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, welcoming someone named Galaxy Tab A. Um, well, we're in. Um, hello, Katie Stewart. We are in uh, a Matthew chapter 14. You should have that in front of you. Uh, we're gonna. Uh, I'm going on vacation starting the 11th of July, so we'll be here on the 10th of July. Um, although, actually, on the 10th of July, we will have um, our, uh, a police officer. Uh, officer, what's what's her name? Flame? Wayne? Whitrock. Whitrock. Officer Whitrock. Officer Whitrock. That'll be really interesting. I want a lot of people to come to that. Um, but, uh, so she's in the Mandarin area. But the, um, but the, so the next four weeks, we're going to look at, we're going to get all the way, is my intention, to Peter's confession uh, at, uh, in the middle of chapter 16. And then I'll be uh, out, of, out of town um, for a couple of weeks. But, but, uh, um, so we're looking right now at 14, we'll be in 15, and then we'll get to Peter's confession uh, in chapter 16. But today we're going to look at um, two really familiar passages, I think. Uh, we're going to look at uh, the death of John the Baptist and Jesus feeding the 5,000. What is uh, incredibly striking, I think, um, as you can maybe see from, the, uh, see from the title, it's a tale of two kings. A tale of, of two kings. Well... You remember that we are in a section moving up to Peter's confession where, Je- where Matthew is making the case to his readers that Jesus is the Messiah. Right? We've been talking about that for, since September. And, um, and, and again, just consider that if it feels like it's been taking a long time to, to make the case that Jesus is the Messiah, like we get it already, just remember this is supposed to be read out loud over just in one sitting or maybe a couple of sittings, but uh, we've been spending nine months with it, so... Um, since September. But um, I think today we get a, a particularly good look, especially in the first section, a particularly good look into the human condition. Um, what self-service uh, leads to, uh, I think particularly paranoia uh, and uh, a sort of um, compromised uh, morals, uh, peer pressure, if you will, but uh, ultimately, we see in 
I think there's, this is a very intentional juxtaposition uh, with two kinds of feasts and two kinds of kings. So first, uh, the death of John the Baptist. Then we'll look at that first and then we'll look at the feeding of the 5,000. Somebody read that for us, 12 verses. Sissy, thank you. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod has seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. How far down to the end of that? To 12, yep. Yeah, Mm -hmm. 12. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company uh, and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry. But because of his oaths and his guest, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. (laughs) The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, That is... um, yeah, I mean it is brutal, isn't it? I mean this is this is quite a family. Let me let me tell you this uh, this these Herods. So you remember that uh, you remember of course Herod the Great, and that is the Herod who was uh, the king over all the region. Um, and uh, when Jesus was born, he's the one that ordered everyone in in Nazareth, uh, everyone in Bethlehem, all the boys um, under two years old, to be murdered in order to get this king uh, who had been born and um, just really uh, really hard and then so Herod the Great he was a, he was an incredible builder an architect uh, as well and I think he actually designed a Masada if I'm, I'm uh, correct for, for those who went what did he was it Herod the Great that that you can't remember but uh, I'm pretty sure that's that's right that Masada if you've ever been to Masada it's this amazing fortress built into carved into a, a mountaintop. Um, and uh, anyway, well, he had three sons, and they were really wonderful kids. Um, and the, um, so uh, he had Philip and Antipas and Archelaus. And Archelaus was kind of king over the region around Jerusalem. And Philip, I'm not sure, actually. I think it's over like Tyre and Sidon, the, the uh, coastal part of, of the region. And then, um, and then Archelaus, uh, Antipas, excuse me, Antipas had uh, Galilee. And so uh, this Herod the Tetrarch is Herod Antipas. And, um, and it says that he had heard about the fame of Jesus, but he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That is why his miraculous powers are at him, uh, are in him. Now, why did he... Why did he um, kill him? Well, then we get this sort of flashback. 
So, um, so Antipas, Philip, Philip was married to their niece, the, the brother's niece, uh, Herodias, or Herodias. I, I don't know. I've always said Herodias, but um, and so that's weird enough, right? Um, and so, so Philip's married, and then Antipas goes on a trip, and along the way on that trip, stops off to see his brother and falls in love with his sister-in-law, niece. And she agrees to leave Philip and come and marry Antipas. Uh, and so that just really made Thanksgiving awkward uh, for, the, for the Herod family. But, um, uh, but, but nevertheless, uh, so that, that is why John the Baptist is saying it's not lawful. According to the law of Moses, it's not lawful. Because Herod was, of course, a Jew. Uh, he was totally uh, in bed with, if, if you will, the, the Romans and, and served really nobody but his own interests. Um, but, he was, but he was a Jew. And, and, so, and so John the Baptist was holding him according to the standard of the law of Moses. He's speaking truth to power, in a sense, and he uh, got him put in prison for it. Now, um, Mark tells us that, uh, or Matthew tells us, that Herod wanted to put John to death, but he didn't because he feared the people, because the people held him to be a, a prophet. Of course, they, many of the people had been baptized by him in the river. Uh, they had experienced his, uh, his words and his uh, proclamations, very, you know, very fiery and uh, very earthy. Uh, Mark tells us that it was Herodias, uh, the 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 sister-in-law, niece-wife, who, um, who was really the one who held the grudge. And, and it, it, I think probably it's just all of it together. Like Mark, Matthew tells one side and Mark tells the other. Um, I don't think one is probably right or more. But, but, but Mark does mention that Herod actually liked to go and listen to John and didn't want to kill him because he was a holy man. Um, and so because he's Jewish. He has, so he has this sort of conflict uh, about himself um, but he's the king, and he can't, uh, I mean, he watched his father control mightily this, this whole region, and now he's sort of pitted against his brother, and, and, uh, or his brothers, and, and um, they've got this family dynasty, but it's, it's t- the relationships are tenuous, and, and, uh, and he wants God on his side, obviously, but he doesn't want to do what God wants to do. Uh, or doesn't want to do what God wants him to do. And, and, and that makes feel very familiar to a lot of us. We, of course, all want God on our side. We just don't want to have to do what God wants us to do. Um, and, and so it's really odd to me that when, as soon as Jesus becomes famous, um, that Herod hears about him. And that's not odd. But what he immediately thinks is, I'm responsible for this. <laughs> that I am, um, I I have, I have created a monster, sort of, because or I've, I've uh, he's going to come and get me. Uh, this is John the Baptist. I killed him. I shouldn't have killed him. I knew better than to kill him, but I did anyway to please my guest and to please my niece, wife's daughter. So basically, my grand niece. Um, <laughs> Stepdaughter, uh, that um, that I knew I shouldn't, but and because I did, he's back from the dead. Isn't it so? I mean, I just to me this, I mean, for one on one level that just seems 
like the most ridiculous thing you could possibly come up with. This is John the Baptist back from the dead. Like I, that, that seems to me like you would have solved that problem and now you've got another headache uh, down out in the country somewhere. But it's his narcissism. And, and it actually makes some sense to me. Maybe I'm closer to narcissism than I like to admit, but it makes some sense to me that this control, this need for power, this um, desire to, uh, to have everything buttoned down, that actually when something goes wrong, um, that God's out to get me. It, it, I, feel, I feel like, I, maybe I'm having a hard time articulating it, but I feel like there is some strain of logic there that is, that is tied to his narcissism. Um, and, and so, that's human nature. And then, of course, so he has this uh, party. I think it's a birthday party. Maybe it's his, I think that's right. One of the other authors, the Gospel uh, says. It says birthday in this one. Oh, it says birthday in this one. Uh, his birthday. Yeah, that's right. It sure does. That's where it's this birth. It's this gospel. That's where I go. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> Close. <laughs> Close reading. Right. Um, the um, so so he has his party, and Salome. That's the name of the the daughter. Dances for him in such a way that he is so happy. <laughs> But he says he'll give her whatever she wants up to half his kingdom is what I think is probably just an expression. But, I mean, she probably wasn't just doing, she wasn't clogging, right? I mean, it's like it's, uh, it is, um, it just is so weird and salacious and, and just uh, there's so much innuendo. And so this girl, and I don't know how old she is at this point, but he says, I'll give you, he just, he must have been just drunk as a skunk. And he just, um, he, he says, I'll give you whatever you want. He says it, proclaims it from all the, all the party guests. And she is young enough that she goes and asks her mother what she should ask for. Her mother doesn't say, oh, you've always wanted that little trinket or, you know, what about that new dress or, or you know, how about, I don't know, Jerusalem or something, you know, like, but... She uses this opportunity to go and and um, and uh, sort of and and get her own grudge uh, solved. The whole thing is just it's just a nightmare, and um, and so she says, "I want the head of John the Baptist." Now, another part about this uh, narcissism is that he is put in a real pickle because now he's got. He doesn't. He doesn't. He's got to face God at some point because he, this is a holy man. But he also has to face the pressure of his guests. He just told them all, "I'm going to give her whatever she wants." And now she's told me what she wants, and I can can't say no. Um, I mean, if it's like half of half of the kingdom, I would have said, "Well, he's in the other half." I don't. I don't know. But but anyway, he feels a lot of pressure. So so this is, I think, another um, a, another consequence of self-serving. Is that he becomes compromised? Uh, he what uh, what is immediate is not uh, what God wants. What is immediate is not are not the the principles I have set out for myself, but what other people think. Um, this is just just example just popped in my head, and, and maybe it's not a very good one. I don't know. I haven't written it out. Uh, but the um, 
it's just, but it's probably one we can all relate to because we all have set principles for ourselves that we didn't follow. And, you know, I, um, I had said to myself, we're going on this big trip in a couple, uh, few weeks, and I, I said I'd, I'd want to not eat, um, I want to eat really healthy before we go, and I want to not eat sweets and not have alcohol. And last night uh, was my, uh, or today actually, is my son's birthday. And, um, and the, you know, he wanted to go uh, to Top Golf, and they gave us all these free sweets. And, um, and it would have been rude, wouldn't it, to have. Um, what would I have said? That's right. And I'm sure it was. So, what does Herod think? I'm only being polite. You know, like, uh, uh, it's just, you know, we compromise our own standards uh, so often. And, and maybe, I mean, that wasn't, I wasn't like, what is Thomas going to think? I was like, ooh, donuts. Uh, but, uh, um, but, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just we compromise our own standards so, because we're self-serving. Uh, because we're self-serving. So I, I just think that that's really uh, something to see here. Um, any of us can get to where Herod is. Now, maybe we can't get to be the king, or, you know, be a, the ruler of a, of a region or something like that, but, but any of us can get to the self-serving, compromised, uh, control freak that he is because it's just we're so turned in on ourselves. And you say, well, I can never get there. You need to give God glory for that. Because without God in your life, you definitely could. We all could. And plenty of people with God in their life have. So, um, this is a de- degenerate feast that leads to death. And a self-focus that leads to a need to control every external factor. It's what he learned from his dad. But at least uh, we can at least imagine how this become, turns into narcissism and paranoia. Am I on the right track? You, am I just talking or do you understand? When I, do you, you get it? Okay, good. And so because he's self-serving, he becomes greedy and paranoid and unprincipled. And all of us have put our foot on that slippery slope. Could I ask a question about Herod? Do you think Herod was a man with a religious background? Do you think he... I mean, I understand he's Jewish, but to have this guilt or whatever happens here, what? where was he on the spectrum? Just... Nothing. So the question is, where, where was Herod on the religious spectrum? What was his background? And we and we don't really know. Um, and so when we don't know, uh, I feel free to interject my own guesses. But um, I I think that, I mean, to me, the, the most easily thing thing to relate is that he was like this sort of southern good old boy who was raised in the context of the church, but never really made church his own thing. So he understands he's got some sort of moral map that has worked into the fabric of who he is because he lives in this Jewish context. But it never served him or his family to really give themselves to that religion. But to use the religion to serve their family. And I think all of us can relate to that. Um, especially if you've grown up in the Southern Church. But, uh, but any church, really, I'm sure. I think the piece that kind of would point to that point to that a little bit is that when John the Baptist tells him it's not right for him to have Philip's wife, he doesn't say, ooh, what a, hmm, maybe I shouldn't. He says, no, I want to do it. lock him up, put him in jail, and think about killing him. Right. So he, he knows it's wrong. He knows that John's right, but the answer isn't me. The answer is lock John up. That's right. Yeah, there's, there, I, I got I to gotta 
I can't kill him because he's holy or something, but I gotta tamp this thing down. I can't. If he had no background, I think he'd probably just say, "Who cares? Who cares what this guy says?" But he's got something that just says, "I got." It feels like that anyway to me. All right. Well, that's 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 this, and it stands in direct contrast to the next feast and the next king. The next feast is a feast that leads to life and a king who is loving and serving above all else. Yes, go ahead, Sissy, before we get there. Um, It says, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. I remember that. What does that mean? That John died? No, so so Herod, Herod is saying that Jesus is John the Baptist. He hears about Jesus' miracles. And he is recalling that he killed John the Baptist and Jesus has, has come back from the dead and since God has brought him back from the dead, He's given him this, these abilities to do the miracles. He, he's, he's not saying... But it's a little out of context to me because then... Jesus isn't dead then. I mean, because they went out and told Jesus about John's death. No, that's what John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's he Herod assumes because he killed John the Baptist, but he shouldn't have, that God raised John the Baptist from the dead and named him Jesus. That's that's what he's saying. That Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead. That's that's Herod's assumption because of his paranoia. That's that's yeah. Thank you for asking for that clarification. Okay. Any other questions or comments about Herod? Anybody relate to Herod's family? <laughs> All right. So we don't immediately flash back into the present because John the Baptist gets killed and it says when Jesus heard this speaking of the death of John the Baptist he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself and particularly Mark in his account suggests that Jesus is going away to grieve and to prepare we know that from Luke, that John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins, and many people speculated that they grew up together, they knew each other, and and there's no account of that. But it makes good sense. But particularly, Jesus knows that His his time is coming now. That, That with the one who was to prepare the way of the Lord, to to make the way straight in the wilderness, that His time obviously is over because He's dead. Now Jesus' time is to come to the front, which means He's headed to the cross, right? That's, that's what Jesus understands. His, this is not Him beginning, Jesus beginning His ministry because He's already had ministry, but it is now, it's, now it's getting real is, is what Jesus... So He's going to prepare for the next phase of the ministry. Um... Because John's death means that Jesus' ministry jumps into the next phase. But when the crowds heard it, that is that he was going off by himself, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd 
and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. I just want, again, we've just seen the opposite of this. We've seen the narcissism and the control and the self-serving. And here's a man who is grieving and who needs to pray and fast because to get ready for what's coming. And people come to him and he just puts what he needs aside and just pours into them. And he has compassion on them and he, is, and he heals their sick. And, um, and I just think that is a very intentional side-by-side. Um, and it just speaks to the incredible character of Jesus. Now, I mean, I, that is not to say that it's not a good Christian thing to do to get rest. Because um, sometimes that's the best thing you can do, is to get rest. But Jesus, who is, is full of the Spirit and has all the resources in the universe uh, to Himself, puts aside his own human need and pours into these these people. And I just think it's really beautiful. Even if we didn't get the next the meal, I think this is it's a really beautiful picture of his character. Rather than saying, hey, for crying out loud, give me a minute. Right? <laughs> Which should have been totally justified. He healed their sick. Now when it was evening, disciples, the disciples came to Him. So this is the twelve. And they said, this is a desolate place. The day's over now. Send the crowds away into the villages so they can buy food for themselves. Jesus said, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to Him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And He said, bring them here to Me. When he ordered the, then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. He broke the loaves, gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the crowds. They all ate and were satisfied and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men besides the women and the children. Last week we had a Pentecost picnic and my joke was we started out with five loaves and two chickens. And we ended up with a lot more left over. We had 12 baskets full, I think, of chicken left over. Um, So, Jesus is teaching the people. He's healing the people. He's spending time with the people. And the disciples said it's a desolate place. it's, It's really probably... If they, it was evening and they could go into the villages around them, it probably wasn't that far from civilization or something, but they were out in the countryside. And if they were going to eat, and Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And, and the disciples do the most, they say the most um, natural thing in the world, well, this is all we've got. Hint, hint, it's for us, not for them. <laughs> Parenthetical. <laughs> and Jesus says, just give me what you've got. And I'll make it more than enough. And I can't tell you how many times I have prayed over a sermon, over a project, over something. Lord, i got five loaves and two fish. 
And I need for you to make it more than enough. And He does. And I want you to think about that when you feel like what you've got to offer isn't enough. Like I want you to just tell the Lord you got five loaves and two fish. And there's a bunch of hungry people. And would you, would you please make it more than enough? And see what He does. This is, you know, God, God is in the business of miracles. I do not know how it works. I would think that nobody, none of those 5,000 people, really thought anything particularly amazing had happened. Because usually, when there's a miracle, there's no extra music or flashing lights or anything. It's just, it just, it just happens. And sometimes you don't even notice it's a miracle. I've talked about this before. Um, but it's just it's remarkable how, how normal it feels. Um, now, not always. But like, I've told, you, I've told a story before about a kid who uh, had a broken leg and, um, and somebody prayed over it, didn't think much about it. One of my professors, he prayed over it, didn't think much about it. And... Um, and then they went, took him back for an x-ray or a second x-ray or something like that, and it was healed. And then the guy never felt any kind of like, you know, crack or pain or, or pleasure or anything in his leg. It just, it, it just was right the next time they looked at it. Um, any, anything that you feel like that. I mean, like, you know, you've prayed over someone. And again, I know, you pray over someone who's got cancer and they don't get healed. Sometimes every now and then you pray over someone with cancer and they do get healed. I don't, I don't know how that happens. Um, but when they do, in the very, on the rare instance that for whatever reason in God's choosing they do get healed, there's really nothing about the sensation that feels any different than they were feeling before until the doctor says, I don't know what to tell you, but you don't have cancer anymore. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you about why that doesn't happen all the time. Um, except that that a lot of times the miracles are for the benefit of the unbelieving. And so if we are to believe, we, we, we don't need that. We want it, and sometimes we get it, but we don't, we don't need it. Anyway, we probably get a lot more than I realize. But all this to say that we have two kinds of kings. One that is, uh, is completely serving himself. This is the way of the world. And we have the king that's completely opposite of the world. Who We have one king that is uh, eminently wealthy, and um, and just that's part of the narcissism. That's part of um, you know his his what he gives to other people is to impress them. And Jesus gives to feed them. He has nothing for himself, nowhere to lay his head. Um, and yet there's there's plenty in the economy of God, right? There's just plenty. There's there's leftovers. They got more leftovers than they had to start with. That always blows me away. Unless they were itty bitty baskets, but I think that uh, <laughs> I think they must have been. There just must have been more. Um, and it's just it's just what God does. Can I say something? Please. You gave a sermon on this years ago, and I mean, it might have been last year. I don't know, but um, I remember it so well that. You, you made the illustration. So the disciples went to Jesus and said, this is all we have. 
and he said, you, you feed them. And so they looked at each other and they're like, you know, what? And then they turned around and took that step of faith, mm. not knowing, I mean, they still could see only what they had, what they could see, not what Jesus could see. And they just took that step of faith and it was provided what was needed. That sounds like a great sermon. It was an awesome sermon. <laughs> yeah. I'll just go back and listen to that one. Um, but it is true. I mean, he says, bring it here to me. There is, a, there is a moment where they've still got it. They couldn't see what, what is he talking about. There's all this and there's just this. You told us to feed them. Now you want it for yourself. What? No, you know, like, I mean, there's, the, there's a moment where they, there is a turning. And I love, thank you for bringing that up. Because there's a moment where, of turning and saying, okay. I don't know how. I don't have any idea how you're going to make any good come out of this for all of these people. You know, let's just say, let's say every man had one woman and one kid, not fifteen thousand people. Or maybe, who knows? And and they just and it's just is more than enough. I, I don't know how it works. I can many times I've stepped into the, to the pulpit and said, I don't know how you're going to use this. <laughs> he always does. I think it's neat though that they did have an alternative. They could have gone into the town, evidently, well, and bought food. But yeah. could they have 15,000 people and they're out in the countryside? That's a lot of daggone bread, man. That's a lot of bread. It was, it was offered as a town. Yeah. Yeah. It was a reasonable alternative. But they chose instead to do something it, it, that was miraculous. Yes, no, I think that's a, a great point. And isn't it interesting that all these people I mean, surely they felt hungry. I mean, I don't, you know, they probably ate, were a lot, their systems were a lot different than ours because they didn't eat three square meals or four square meals a day, whatever. But, um, but it, is, um, it is amazing that they would rather be around Jesus than eat. Like, that's good teaching. That's, I could keep going, but at some point, y'all want to go get lunch, right? You know, like, um, and, 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 and it's just amazing to me just the, the magnetism and the compassion of Jesus. John? It's, it's, it's interesting because you can tie this back to the wedding feast. And some of the, the wedding feast, yeah. some of the disciples were with him at the wedding feast and they saw him produce the wine. Oh, oh, in, in Cana. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. So John said that well, we... Here they come and they're, they've got a little bit and they don't think it's enough and yet he took nothing that's right so we had he did water to wine and this they're like you know and what's even more amazing next week or two weeks we'll see that he feeds four thousand and again they're like what do we do right i would think like i see a real business opportunity here jesus i i don't know like um it's it's you know it's it's pretty amazing um how we just how quickly we forget how quickly we forget. That's one of the things I was trying to speak about in the sermon today. Like you need, whatever you're going through now, you need to draw on God's past faithfulness. Because what you're going through now, you're going to need to draw on again later. Um, and to see His faithfulness uh, to us. Well, dear friends, next week we're going to walk on water. I mean, see Jesus walk on water. <laughs> And then um, 
and we'll talk about traditions and commandments and defiling maybe and so um, but it, it is uh, we're, we're heading closely towards uh, Matthew making his case so any any last thoughts or questions or anybody these two kings aren't you glad you have the good one yeah no matter what sort of king or uh, we have uh, in this world we always have the King of Kings. Thanks be to God. All right. Love you, Katie. Bye-bye. Um, any other thoughts or questions? You know, you mentioned, I never really thought about the, the Jesus and the having passion healing the sick in that context of grieving and preparing for the next leg of the ministry. In the way it's presented here is he does it just strictly out of compassion. It's just, yeah. Oh, I see a need, I'm going to go fill it. And, you know, I think we, we may not be Herod's, and we're certainly not Jesus. But in between that, if we were in his shoes, we'd be like, yeah, I know I need to do it. I'll go do it. And, and, and have that, we might present outwardly that, oh, yeah, we're going to be nice and healthy, but in, inside we'd still be, you know. Which really? Would, I never feel like that. Yeah. Never? No. That's just me? Yeah. yeah I think that's just... <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I do. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, that's why we need him. That's why we need him in our lives. All right, five loaves and two fish. Go make a bunch. <laughs>